Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Reese. And I'm going to say <laughs> his last name wrong, and I'm going to leave this in. It is going to be Generelli. That's it. Close. I got it. Yes. He's the owner of Point Grey Veterinary Hospital in British Columbia. Reese and his wife, Dr. Carmen Chan, have a three-doctor veterinary hospital in a very competitive market. And Reese and I actually connected in the Facebook group. I was seeing these like really great feedback posts and going back and forth. And I was like, oh, I like this. I like this style. I want to talk to this guy. And so Reese has really done a great job. We've been able to connect prior to recording here. And I was fortunate enough to twist his arm to actually come on and do a longer format podcast. But Reese, thank you so much for the time. Thank you very much for having me. I'm both honored and humbled and, uh, you know, somewhat starstruck myself. So thank you so much. I really, really appreciate the time. It's always fun to record with people that I think are in the trenches. And we were just talking a little about this right before we hit record. So last name that I struggled through, but got correct is Italian, which is really interesting. You have then an Aussie accent and you live in British Columbia. So those three things, how does that all lead to then becoming an owner in a veterinary hospital? So just give a little bit of a feedback and a quick rundown of where you're from and how you got to where you're at today. Yeah, my background is Italian. My family is Italian. I was born and raised in Australia, Melbourne. I met my wife, Jesus, I think 13 years, 14 years ago. Has it been that long? Yeah, it has. And we met while she was in med school. From there, we got married. She knew pretty quickly that she didn't want to stay in Australia and raise kids without her family. So we made the decision to move here. How I got into this space is an interesting story. I was brought up in hospitality. I spent 23 years in that uh, industry and I was severely unemployable, to be completely honest. No one could take me on with the experience that I had at the wage that I guess we all need and deserve. So I put her world and my world together, Um, my world being business and customer service and her world being vet. And here we are. I love the idea of bringing that hospitality service background, which I think people will hear kind of throughout as we think through things together. And there's some things that you've mentioned that I really like, but I wanted to ask a little bit when you first took over the hospital that you all acquired. So you bought an existing practice and it was what there for 45 years prior? Yeah, 45 years. Yeah. So it was definitely an existing practice when you first got into it. Again, this is not your background. Lessons learned, things you learned about yourself, the relationship between the two of you. These are all juicy, juicy questions. Yeah. You know, I actually thought it would be a very simple business model. I really did. I just thought I would just push some paperwork let the doctor do her thing and I would pay bills. I was severely wrong, very, very wrong in all aspects. It is not a simple business model. It is not a simple thing, but I had to learn very quickly. It's one of those single single swim scenarios, unfortunately, but I have been exposed to elements in the past that we have to adapt to competition and attracting new clients or clientele. Uh, customers, and to create that atmosphere that people remember you by. My father actually instilled a lot of character in me. You knew when my father walked into a room, he was very loud, had that very big, big character, and you couldn't help but love him, even if his stories were far out and, I guess, what's that word I'm looking for? I'm really trying to be nice to him. Over the top, maybe exaggerated. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The fish you know, all of a sudden is like, you know, right, way bigger. Is, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, he chopped my arm off, but it grew back sort of story. You couldn't help but to love him. And I learned a lot from his character. But over the years, sometimes we all always get stuck in our mentality of things worked 10 years ago. They should still work today. And I never saw that philosophy. I saw that we always needed to be progressive to move with the times. So as the years went on, I had different ideas. He didn't want to move. And again, that's okay. But I brought the best of his judgment, character, and teachings and put a little bit of Reese sprinkles. I love that. One of the things with the hospital and kind of the setting and, you know, the acquisition, you go through that. Again, you're kind of learn. you skin your knee, you make mistakes, you improve. You mentioned kind of the kick in the pants or the thing that really jump-started a lot of your 
growth and creativity was a trip down to WVC. And I wanted to just kind of ask a little bit about what was it that you saw there where things just started to say, ooh, we can make these changes or adjustments. And then that's kind of really accelerated the growth that you all have seen. Yeah. I want to backtrack a little bit before that. It actually started in 2016 on a winter day. It was around about 5.30 in the afternoon when my wife came back from work and I had left work for the day. I was on my PlayStation playing FIFA soccer. For everyone who doesn't know, I am a FIFA fanatic. And she just said, you know what? I think you can do more than what you're doing. I think that we can be more, be better, and I don't think you're trying hard enough. And that was an eye-opener for me, for my wife to say that to me, because I always considered myself a hard worker, but it wasn't enough. So I literally just turned off the PlayStation and opened a book. And from that day on, I made it a mission to excel, to expand, to improve, for it to be completely different what it is today. So over that time, three years, of course, of self-learning, researching, asking questions, doing whatever I could to improve, we went to the Vegas conference and all the questions that I had or the ideas that I had or thought about doing came very much a reality because people were either doing it, had ideas on how to do it, or someone gave me the missing piece of information or the puzzle that I needed to do it. But I met a lot of people spoke to everyone I was sat next to. And that's the thing. Anyone who goes to a conference, speak to the person next to you. You don't know the information to have. And I was even at lunch in in the line to a subway. And I just happened to turn around. There was an older fella and him and his wife were there. And I asked, are you here for the vet conference? And they said, yeah, we're husband and wife. We're a team. We've been together for 40 something years in the vet industry. We're both doctors. And that struck so much a chord with me so much because my wife is and I are are a team and my first question was how do you do it how do you work together and still go home together and the question was it takes a lot of practice and boundaries and boundaries admittedly I am still still trying to work and understand myself but it's a work in progress but I asked them what was the transition how is the vet space being from when you started to now I wanted to know everything I even sat down and had lunch with them I bought them lunch because I wanted to talk to them but the thing was I'm that type of person that will talk to anyone and everyone doesn't matter and I just wanted to really understand every aspect of the world in that world in particular so like I said I want to learn and want to speak to everybody and whatever questions I had I got a little nugget or a big nugget well, not at all, but just a level of understanding. But no conversation is should go unwasted. Yeah, I love that. I think I've mentioned on this podcast a number of different times where for me, this is like the conference was for you. This is what this is. Like, again, I get to interview people and ask questions, nuggets all the time, whether it's a conversation that maybe you and I had that's not recorded or what is recorded. There's just so much learning to be happening and so many different people to connect with to understand their frame of reference and where they came from and then what the world looks like in their eyes. It's like, oh shoot, that's actually really interesting. And it does help fill in some of the gaps because you only know what you've seen and what's been modeled for you throughout life. Like you don't get to try, oh, I want to go to this path and this path and this path, and then I'll actually live my life. It's like, no, you get the one opportunity and how do you fill it in? I wanted to ask, you mentioned something that was really, I don't know if it's controversial. I think it's just an interesting statement that most US clinics would fail in Vancouver. And it is a very competitive market as you've shared with me. So what made you feel that way? And can you just kind of expand upon maybe what the market is so unique and why you think most businesses in the US would fail there from a clinic perspective? Yeah. The reason why I said that is because US rely heavily on population. We don't have that. The amount of population that I have in entire Vancouver is about two and a half million. That's what you have in your own suburb. It's crazy. So you can literally open up and you should be successful in USA. It doesn't matter where you are. You should be successful. And if you're not, I'd be asking questions because you've got that surplus of clientele there. I have 200, sorry, 2.5 million people in my entire metropolitan area. I can only service 20 kilometer radius of that 
and in my particular space, and we'll talk about point grey location because I have two point grey location. I service around about the 25-ish kilometres is probably as far as I've mapped the furthest client. And that's probably a space of 50,000 people. And then you add a percentage of how much of those people actually have a pet. And let's pretend it's 20%. I am now a direct competitor to 15 at minimum of clinics in that direct radius. What separates me from the other 15 is huge. I mean, I'm not saying that I the difference between us is massive. What I'm saying is we need to make sure that we have that level of something that, that draws them to me. So I am competing 20% of 50,000 divided by 15 clinics. And you can do the math there. It's not that much. If everyone had a 5% each or so, less than that, if you were divided by 15, it's 1%, 1.5%. It's not a lot at all. So yeah, we have to be vicious in our marketing, vicious in what services we offer or how we offer it or what we do to be better or offer something different than the next, to be fair and honest. I use the same mantra to my other location. So I hope that answers that question. Yeah, I wanted to kind of then build on that and kind of ask the question of how do you separate yourself and how have you distinguished and are you doing something different from one location to the other of knowing the makeup of who the people are in that community or are they similar communities? No, they're both very different communities. One is a bit more of an affluent area, but I haven't changed my model. I offer the same level of service from one to the other and that's just our brand. I'm going to be very stereotypical and use the template We offer the best medicine and compassionate care, but that's everybody. It doesn't matter who you are. That's what you should have regardless. What separates me to the next person, next clinic, is the people. And when I say the people, it's the customer service that we bring. It's the level of detail or the bedazz, the character that we provide either via phone, whether it be in person, whether it be the social media that we put together. It is the little touches that we put. We have a coffee station. We have a new client welcome board that we have for every new client that comes through. You can look at that on our social media. But we have just little nuances that just change the way we see customer service. And you got to remember, I come from customer service. So everything that I have thought about or doing or trying to make different have all been derived from making the experience different and when we talk about a different experience you know we talk about it being a very concierge feel that i want you to walk in and just say that this is home this is home for my furball this is home for me and know that if i can just drop if we go back to curbside we can just drop off fluffy and know that this is his second family we know that they're going to treat them with care and we have to then stand by it. I mean, we have made the conscious effort and it's part of our core value that every staff member is fear-free certified. Every single one. You will not work here unless you are. And you have to do certain CE every year. There is so many different little things that encompass these offerings to clients, but we also forget the main ingredient. Main ingredient is your people. Your people have to love, they have to believe in you and the company and the core values, and they have to enjoy coming to work. That's the glue right there. I can give him all the things that we should give to a client, but if I treat my staff like crap, they're not going to believe, they're not going to be an advocate, they're not going to be my champion, right? They're going to go home and tell their friends that you should come to my clinic because we do this. And we do that. Those are my champions. If they go home and tell their friends, don't go there, go to somewhere else, it's all for naught. It's all for naught. So I did want to talk a little about your team because it was one of the things that I asked about, kind of things that excited you and you definitely lit up talking about it and it feeds into the growth and success of investing in your team. And it is a service business. Veterinary medicine is a service business. So taking that hospitality approach, I love hearing you talk about it, definitely concierge, but tell me about your team and how you both invested in them, maybe financially, but also relationally. 
Because I think the thing you talked about is like the relationship of you to the team members is different, perhaps. And while that seems easy, it's really freaking hard. It's simple, not easy. Yeah. So once again, going back to my roots uh, in hospitality, you accepted that no one or hardly any of your staff would stay with you for more than six a year in hospitality because it's just a rotating thing. People swing by, it's a breeze through overseas travelers. And we understood that it's the space of hospitality. We get that. In my 23 years, I probably had a good handful that stayed for more than two years because it was something they loved. They ended up opening their own cafe or restaurant or something or a chef or whatever the case may be. But those are the people that are looking for a career in that industry. And that's also perfectly fine. Not everyone is. So when came into this space, I just assumed everyone did it for love. And that, honestly, whoever's listening to this, it used to be the case 50 years ago, not anymore. They do it for love, yes, but you've got to pay them. Guys, you've got to pay them, and they have to live. They have to eat, and if you can't give them that, you're going to lose some good people. Have we got our team? I think the turning point for me was to understand what myself, my wife, truly, really believed in, what our core values were, and we had to find people that wanted or believed in the same thing. And that was a turning point. I went on this big adventure to find out who and what our core values were, what our team also believed in. And again, we just had to really go on an eat, pray, love journey with the company and find out who we were. And once we did that, we centered and hired based on that. Skills can be taught, personality can't. And I still truly believe that I can train anybody but they need to a want to be trained. They need to believe in what we believe in because everyone knows training takes time, investment, money, and I hate hiring. <laughs> I do, but that it's just part of what it is. I'm fortunate and blessed to have a team currently that are probably my best team that I've ever had. Every single one of them try absolutely very hard to be better than yesterday and any issues, problems that they have, they are they know that my door is always open. Even if it's one o'clock in the morning, I'm there. Not in the friendship way, but if they ever need help with something, if they're sick or whatever the case may be, in a professional way, they know that I'm always there. And it's very important that they know that we have an environment that they're comfortable in to be themselves, that they're not wearing any armors and having to be on a defensive all the time. Can you talk a little bit about just being able to give them more than just a job, but give them a career and kind of showing a pathway for growth? Because you did share that in our first call. And I was like, that to me is fantastic. And I think it should be highlighted. So I don't want to let you forget that because it's that's a really important point. Yeah. So we talk about it being a career, not just a job. So when we talk about that, we up until very recently, actually, I've been talking to some friends in the industry and i'm going to give out a plug and a shout out to the uncharted group and dr andy rourke and stephanie goss and everyone in that group and a big shout out to my friend david liss and ron sosa those people have helped me immensely with creative ideas understanding because they're from the american market and everyone in that group have some great ideas they just got some great ideas and you feed off that and then those ideas become something a little bit more than, than anything else. So let's go back to creating the job aspect or creating a career aspect is that we give them opportunities like shares in the company or dividends in the company. And we always tie it back to both performance, both key performance indicators, whether it be personal or company. We map these things so that they understand that it's not just a given because they've got time in the company, it's given because of performance, it's given because of even as simple as being positive teammates or creating a positive environment, using initiative. We severely underestimate how powerful initiative is because I want them to be empowered. Again, there's that key word again, empowered to do more than what the job description allows for because if someone's comfortable enough to do it all the power to you go and do it that's something less i have to stress about 
So when we talk about these future things, I want them to earn more if they can and how we can give them that is, of course, more revenue, but how we do that, they have opportunity to take on more responsibility like social media posts or online store that they get to manage and they do certain little responsibilities, but we always have a base. That base is the base and then you can have little add-ons here and there that get to add on to your pay package per week, per month, whatever it is. So there is time, like we're building out a new thing right now where for every five years you get equity in the company. And if and when I sell, if I sell, they get a piece of that. There's a lot of legalities involved in that, but yes, speak to a contract lawyer. There are so many different little things that we want to create and do for our staff. As an example, this is not monetarily based, but we are trying to align ourselves with a company that is going to or it's a pool of people, strangers, that everyone can chip in and buy real estate. Whether it be $10,000 you're going to put in, $100,000 you're going to put in, this market right now in Vancouver especially is crazy. I don't know how well you know Vancouver, but it is crazy, 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 crazy. You can buy a den for $900,000 as a den, like a one-bedroom suite. It's crazy. So it's very hard for these people to get into the market. However, I can help facilitate that is another win. So if they get, I don't know, if they invest $10,000 and hypothetically speaking, they get 50 at the end of four or five years, well, that's 40 they never had before that they can put towards a deposit. That's something else that we're trying to work towards. I haven't gone the Isaiah route yet and buy Bitcoin, but we'll look at that. (laughs) We'll come back to that. I'm just going to note here talking about Bitcoin. Okay. You mentioned core values, which I think is super important. And I will give credit to Dr. David Bessler at Veg. I think they do a fantastic job at driving home. Like, this is what we stand for. This is what we do. It helped encourage me after that conversation interview. Again, going back to this is how I learn a lot too. Going back to my partner and saying, hey, we need to document the things that are up in our head that we talk to people about when we are on our team or on our calls or when we're interviewing. And let's formalize that and put it down on paper and make sure everyone sees it. And I wanted to come back to kind of the core values that you have, if you're willing to share kind of what those are and how you maybe develop those. Sure. I mean, as a company, we have obviously the standard, compassionate care, the best medicine, blah, blah, blah. It, it's the standard. But what we truly, truly believe in, and this I think extends a lot from my personal core values, is transparency, communication, and expectations. We set expectations to be completely transparent. And we communicate that aspect in its entirety. So if I'm talking to anyone, any member of my team, and I say, look, this is what I expect, and I want to be completely transparent, say if I'm talking to a doctor, I'm going to show them the books. I'm going to show them what they make. I'm going to show them what they do. That way they're not going to say, because if they're on pro-sell, oh, you're taking something, you're jibbing me. No, you can see it here. Here's the numbers. There it is right there. What do you want to see? How much parasite control you've done there how much over multiple you've done there i am not going to sit here and say that i will take off two thousand dollars from the thing because i want to save 25 percent of that i mean come on they work hard they need it transparency i'm transparent about where the company is going what i'm looking to do i set expectations it's important especially this day and age that the staff for those millennials out there that are up and coming and They want more than just a job. They need to be involved. They need to be respected. They need work-life balance. You need to be flexible. I have a flexible schedule. I have two months schedule in advance. I have the option if you want to do four days or five days, I have the option to, uh, what else? Sorry, there's so many things that I just cannot think of, but there's so many jam-packed benefits. I would pay full benefits, full health insurance, EAP. Sure, my pay package is between 23 and 5% per month. And sure, if you wanted to play metrics, it should be at 20. I don't care. I get to keep good staff. I don't have to train more staff to save the 3 5%. You're going to spend that anywhere with new staff. And you're not going to have retention. You're not going to have continuity. And you're not going to have the relationship of your team that people literally want to get up and go to work for. right? And we have, I think I'm going to thank my good friend, run for this one but he shared a peer review sheet that we instilled every three months 
and it was amazing from what it was when it first started to what it is today and we just finished it two weeks ago that the number one now is i get up to go to work for my team my colleagues patience was three isaiah patience was number three it was team work environment patience that is i can't buy that i can't buy that whereas i think people who struggled to come up with something that gets them out of bed is because i think someone even said because it's a job that's not what i want so we went on that mission to find who we are find the team find the working environment and look it's paid off and it's paid off because i have doctors i can't even place i have four or five doctors i've got resumes i can't even hire them but i feel sorry that i can't hire them because there's people out there who can't even find a doctor i have techs lined up ready to take the next position again i've got nowhere to put them i don't have the space and i have loyal staff so what do i do <laughs> and it's a good problem to have but culture is everything culture is just everything it is i want to transition a little bit out of that a thank you for sharing that and that is again i would encourage everyone to go back and understand what's just said that there's people that are waiting to come work for you in a world where no one can find good help i can think of so many people right now they're like oh i would grow if i can find the right person and trying to be as competitive as possible and just search and search and search and so that's fantastic i think that speaks volumes about what you all have built there, which is awesome. But you mentioned, and again, going back to the Facebook group, one of the comments I loved, someone was asking for successful strategies for ownership. You mentioned you were actively looking at expanding, again, knowing that you probably have kick-ass people that want to come work for you. And you're like, hey, culture's there. We have people we want to bring on. But trying to compete against corporate players, or maybe those that have a little deeper pockets or unlimited pockets if they're backed by private equity. So it's really hard sometimes to do that. How have you found yourself able to compete and be competitive as you look at opportunities to grow and kind of building the packages where maybe it is another private practice owner and you can say, hey, this is what we're looking at. This is how we could structure it. Can you speak a little bit to what you're doing there? Sure. I look, I stand by my comment. I don't see corporate as a threat to myself or to the industry. If you truly believe in what you do and you love what you do, it doesn't matter. You can open up next door to a corporate. You will hurt them far more than they will hurt you. Will they get doctors first up? Yeah, of course, because they have deeper pockets. They can pay them more. They are not going to give them the same level of attention, the same level of work environment that you want or need or the culture that you want to build. But understand this, you can have the best clinic in the world, but it comes down to leadership. You can be a poor leader and you'll lose everything. And the corporate could have an okay leader and they'll do well. It comes down to leadership. That's the main thing. And if you can't lead, then you need to find someone who can. Right? Know your strengths, know your weaknesses. But for myself, I can open up next door to a VCA or an NVA or a vet strategy, whatever it is, and know that I'm going to be okay. They're not going to be a threat to me. They might be a threat or might hurt me a little bit as competition, but I'm not scared at all because I know that my customer service, for instance, is far more superior. My work culture is something that you just can't buy. Do I pay my staff as much as their starting wages? No, I'll be honest, I don't because I offer something else that they can't simply buy. Their turnover is far higher than mine. Am I expanding? Yes, we are looking at expanding each and every time I get a chance to look at what's available, but it's all in due time, in due course, and we're still trying to make sure that our second location is standing on its own two feet, which it currently is after three months of opening. And this is a little bit of a shameless plug. I have another company called Innovative Veterinary Management Solutions. You can find that on vancityvetgroup.ca that partner up with veterinarians to own their own dream. We will help you build that dream together as a partnership, not just as a consultant agency, but as an active invested partner. Now, since having that, I've had some interest but once again, I'm not going to just choose anyone. They have to recommend, they have to believe in the same things that we believe in. It's still a brand. It's still something that we, I'm not going to say, let's just open up for the sake of opening up. That's just not who I am. And it's, I need to make sure that I'm going to be married to this person. And I need to make sure that it's going to last all the downs and ups. And we're not going to always agree on everything. And that's part of marriage. I'm married once and I'm not going to, do that again unless something is going to work. I know you also are definitely very much 
a pro startup, like as an opportunity. So can we talk a little bit about startups? Because it's not always about acquisition, right? Like I think, especially for a young veterinarian, it's like, shoot, I don't have the funds to do that. I can't compete. Yeah. I can't pay the same amount. I mean, look, the corporates are coming out and buying everything at a greater multiple than what it's really should be worth. And look, you know what? Let them have it. <laughs> to be honest, let them have it. I am looking at a hospital right now that is a corporate, obviously, is knocking on the door. And I just said, look, I'm not going to pay their number. I'm not going to do it, right? I'd rather open up next door and take your clients anyway. That's how I look at it, to be honest. It's cheaper to start up, for one. It's like for if you were looking at a hospital worth buying for a corporate, you're going to buy it at $4 million, so to speak. I know that you can build that same size, same everything. It's, it might take you two years to really build it to the same clientele but you will pay a million dollars at the very most to get it up and running. You run it lean. You run it the way you should want it to see run. You install or instill the protocols and you start from scratch. You build the work environment or the work culture from you. You're going to walk into a hospital practice that already has toxicity. Let's face it, no one likes change in the vet industry. That's why I love corporate, to be honest. I love corporate because it's forced us to change. It's forced the industry to change. This is very sad, but COVID has been a blessing for the industry. And I'm sorry for the people who have lost their loved ones, but COVID has pushed and forced the industry to change that before then was still living in the Stone Ages. We didn't have telemedicine. We didn't have cloud-based systems or people weren't paperless. It's criminal that you're not paperless in this day and age criminal you have internet on your phone and you can't go paperless uh, that's just criminal and like i said if you walk into a clinic right now that doesn't have paperless if i walk into something like that i'm going to change this i'm going to change that i'm going to lose 90 percent of the staff because i don't want change i know that i'm not going to fight this it's easy for me to say yeah just get new people but those people come with clients it comes with goodwill you leave on a bad note bad taste they're going to fight you and they're going to tell their clients as well because they're friends right i would much prefer to open up brand new install everything brand new know everything is going to work i have to put a band-aid on it later and spend a quarter of what they're asking that is just my view and i think we're going to see a lot more of startups because people simply can't afford to compete with corporates and nor should they I mean, look, if a corporate came to me tomorrow and gave me a blank check and said, how much do you want? Of course I'm going to take it. I would be silly not to. I've worked too hard not to cash in at the end of the day. And so is the next veterinarian down the road. We deserve, anyone deserves to get paid what they're worth. Something's only worth as much as someone's willing to pay. And that's the bottom line. So you cannot get mad of someone selling to a corporate if they deserve to get paid, right? And that's generational money right there. And I'm not going to put that on someone else because you think it's wrong. I'm not going to do that. Yeah, I totally agree. From the generational wealth, if someone, and we may think it's foolish, right? That a corporate entity is going to pay what they're going to pay. But if I'm that selling veterinarian, that's yeah, life-changing. That can impact generations. And that might be the first person in that family lineage that has that kind of money that can do all kinds of cool things with it. And you don't know what the money's going to go do. Now, maybe they're going to blow it and live irresponsible and get all this stuff. Most veterinarians that I've talked to that have been in that situation, that's not it. They have a lot of other things that they want to do with that. That money's going to go do a lot of good stuff. So let them make those decisions. And I also completely agree on startups. I think this is something that I will continue to share, especially with young veterinarians. I'm fortunate I get to talk to a couple different VBMA groups towards the tail end of this year. And you know, I will absolutely be sharing that. I'm going to be sharing this episode for sure. It's going to be one of the slides like, hey, listen to this, right? Like listen and pay attention because there's some interesting things that you all can do. And I get it. You get so involved in the clinical knowledge and what you can do, but you can be a great doctor and become a great leader and then have a fantastic business. And there's just so many good opportunities with startups and working in the dental world. I've seen a presentation that's probably from like 2018, even be 2017. Oh, maybe. Yeah, probably was 2017. It's probably either 2018 spring or 2017 spring, but it was from a big bank construction company. And I think it was a dental supply 
company as well, but they pooled all this resources together. And dental and vet med share a lot of similarities. There's a lot of similarities between the two, which is partially why that's kind of been my focus. But all that to be said, they showed the numbers. Hey, if I, just what you said, if I do startup, this is my cost. This is the growth. This is the debt repayment. This is all the different things. And after 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years, those numbers got so much more in favor of the startup and the fact that you don't have the bad habits. You don't have all the other things. You can build everything from the way that you want to. You can install the right systems. And you don't have to see like, well, you know what? We'll switch out the PIMS here and we'll do this and we'll add this service. We're not doing that yet. And oh, well, she doesn't want to do that and he won't do this. And you have to work around. There's a huge opportunity for startups. So I really appreciate your thoughts and as someone that has seen it, I feel that and want to encourage as many people. I think it's scary, right? Everyone's like, oh, a startup is just so risky. Yeah, absolutely. Is it though? I mean, is it risky when you can pay less and have everything in the way that you really want it versus going and acquiring yeah. something that's kind of what you want? It's only risky when you are unprepared. If you're going to go in there and thinking that it's going to be fine, without any homework, without any understanding or without any planning, it's not going to be fine. You are playing a huge risk by doing that, just by simply thinking that. But if anyone's thinking, oh, I want to buy an existing or versus startup, your biggest problem is not changing anything. Your biggest problem is having buying from the existing doctors, existing techs and staff. That's your biggest buying. They need to believe and buy into your vision. And sometimes it's just not worth it, to be honest. I was fortunate that I had, when we purchased Point Grey, that it was so small I had two staff. Two staff. My wife, the doctor, plus a tech and a part-time VOA. I didn't have to do much convincing because only two people. Today I've got three doctors, four techs, and three CSRs, four VOAs, and that's just in that company. Plus, I've got Fraserview. But once again, when we talk about buying, you have to have that. And the reason why I did a startup for Fraserview is because I looked at Point Grey and said, I want this to be different. I don't want wires hanging from the ceiling because it's 45 years old. That's just a clinic, but the building itself is 75 years old. So I've got wires hanging from here and I've got a port off a port off a port off a port just to get internet throughout the whole place, right? So everything is basically on a switch. I've got five or six different switches just to surface one computer in the far end of the building. It's crazy. So I looked at where I'm at, Fraser View today, and I said, I don't want this, I don't want that, and this is what I want. And we built my dream. But here's the thing, guys, if anyone's listening, you may think you want to build in four or five years. Great. Come up with something different. Be creative in design. Find out what you want VetMed to look like and build your clinic to your vision. Build it to your vision because it's going to separate you from the guy down the road or the girl down the road, right? You want to talk about being different? Use your creativity and find out how you can be different. And I think you're a shining example of taking inspiration from outside of what you've seen already in VetMed and how to implement that. So don't always look within, hey, what are my peers in VetMed doing? Oh, that's a really cool idea. I'm going to just like kind of take that. You can, I talk about this term all the time, swipe. So steal with integrity and pride. Swipe ideas from other service-based industries that are doing cool stuff and say, oh, shoot, why couldn't we do that within our hospital? Let's take that. Let's try that. And it's okay to try something and not work too. I think so many people, especially veterinarians being type A, perfectionist, you're taught, hey, you have to get everything right, that you can try to implement something and let's say it doesn't work. All right, go try something else and that's okay. You'll be fine. If you are having a good team and you have people that are behind you, you can experiment and try some different things and you'll find something that really is you. And to your point, if you are authentic to yourself, it's really hard to compete against your own creativity and really being truly you. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing and not trying to conform to whatever, you know, the industry is like, oh yeah, this is just the way we do it. And yeah, just echoing your thoughts. This is awesome. Is there anything before I get to the last little piece and we're going to kind of transition out of this discussion, is there anything I haven't brought up in a conversation you think would be valuable touching on anything business related thoughts, leadership? Look, I can be a little bit vulnerable here and say a few months ago, I learned a skill called well it was okay to fail and i found it humiliating when i didn't 
succeed at something or an idea didn't succeed, I thought that I was failing. And failing isn't something that I'm ever okay with in anything I do in life. But I had to take a step back and say, okay, that idea didn't work. Just like you said, that idea didn't work. What could we have done or what could we do to make it work? Is there a solution to this? Now, if the answer is, hey, it's simply just not going to work, okay, fine. What else can we do? What other ideas can we come up with? And I'm always pushing for ideas to make it bigger and better and more wow because that's just who I am. But sometimes I have to accept that not everything that we want to do will work in our space. It can work somewhere else, but it probably won't work in this particular hospital. But it has to be okay, and I'm okay with that now, whereas before I would beat myself up. So if I can give anyone some any advice on leadership, is if you don't know how to do something, hire someone who knows how to do it or find someone who knows how to do it or get educated. But also know that it's okay for something not to succeed the first time. And I want to say this wholeheartedly because you're veterinarians, if you think that if you fail at something once, don't be afraid to try it again because you've got more experience. You've got more time has passed. You might have different people on your side with different ideas, creative ideas. Saying the word no should not always be the first go-to. It should be, how can we make it work? And that is everything that I installed to my staff. If you're going to come to me with the answer, no, it won't work, just tell me why and tell me how it can work. If it truly can't work because we've exhausted all avenues, I'll accept that answer. But I don't like the lazy no because it's too hard or whatever the reason. I want to know why and understand the reasons why. And we have to all come from a level of understanding. I love that. It's a great spot to kind of close in, maybe switch into a fun slash completely different style. So you've listened to the podcast. You know that I typically ask guests to ask me a question. I'm going to change it a little bit because you cracked the door open. I'm going to push it. I'm going to take a step in. So you brought up Bitcoin. Anyone that's listened for at any point in time obviously knows that I think that it's a super important topic to discuss and evaluate. And again, going back to just being educated on, I think it's important. I've called it a couple different times, the story of this decade. Anyways, your biggest question on Bitcoin. So you've said you don't own any. What would be helpful to discuss if you have any questions? Pick one and maybe we'll just chat through it because I think your question is probably one that a lot of people have. How do we get rid of Elon Musk and his tweets? So there's a mute button on Twitter. You just (laughs) mute him. He's gone. Boom. It doesn't exist. Just mute it. Because he's driving that market and it's so volatile. You know, when I looked at it seriously, we were talking about a $50,000 a share, or sorry, $50,000 Bitcoin. And I think I stopped looking when it was at 35. And I was like, he drives it just by a tweet. And I don't like something to be driven by Elon Musk. But again, I know that I'm severely uneducated in this area. And you could say, Reese, that is completely bollocks. It doesn't affect it that much. And I would say, okay, you're, you're the money man. But when I see the media that drive this, opinion home you know i'm not educated enough in this area to give an advice one of the way or the other yeah and i think for someone that yeah from the outside like looking at not that i'm an insider by any means so i don't want people to think like i'm an insider again bitcoin is it's for the masses it's it's rules not rulers so it's kind of like decentralized it's everyone is treated equally which is something that i appreciate now elon musk is obviously a polarizing figure right like he is one of the most influential people in the world so people will listen to him right or wrong i think He's probably not as smart as he really comes across at times. Like, again, am I saying that Isaiah is smarter than Elon Musk? Absolutely not. Not. Please do not ever think that I am that full of myself at all. But when you look at Bitcoin, so again, the price is recovered as according to this, which was 824, 2021. So it's roughly around 49,000 today. So it started to come back from that standpoint, but it is still only the size. It's about half the size of Apple. So if you think about Apple as a publicly traded company, which Bitcoin, a publicly traded company, bad analogy, but just think of size. So market cap, like what it's the valuation, the worth 2 trillion. Bitcoin's a little under 1 trillion right now. So yeah, it's still new. It's still emerging from that standpoint where it's going to have some of that volatility. The volatility is something that is a feature, not a bug though. So if you just become consistent and the advice that I would always give people is buy a little bit and then just continue to buy over time because what that is actually doing is protecting your purchasing power. And you're in Canada. Canada's printed a ton of money. United States has printed a ton of money. This money just falls from the ceiling. There's a reason why 
vet clinics, housing, all these different things. I know Vancouver housing's nuts. Partially that's from overseas investments, which I, at least this is what I've heard, right? Chinese buyers, but then also other folks that are just having so much of this money that has just been created out of thin air that's not backed by anything, where then you have Bitcoin that is something that is scarce, it's predetermined, the supply issuance is there. So I would encourage you, the best book to read if you really want to dig in. And, and again, going back to, I think you're one that I appreciate going back into the vet med, like you'll sit down and say, hey, I'm going to learn this. The Bitcoin Standard by Saifedean Moose to me is the best book around what is money. And when you understand what is money, you realize, holy smokes, Bitcoin's the best money that's ever existed. I think that's the easiest way to start. And then it's just, how can I start to save some of this money that's not as good into this better money? And it's just, that's all it is. And so for me, money is just a storage of energy, right? So you go into work, you're expending energy, you're busting your hump, you're working with your team, everyone's you know, hustling and grinding and doing their thing. At the end of the day, when you get paid and you take money out of the business, that's just storing the energy you spent that week. How many hours did you spend that week? Okay, you get paid, you know, Again, not necessarily get paid by the hour, but again, you're taking that money out and you're just storing the time spent away from passions, from family, from other people, right? And you want to save that in a way where it is the most secure and the best money possible. So that is the encouragement that I would give for anyone listening in Canada. So this is only in Canada. It's not necessarily here in the States. The best place to buy it, from what I've heard from my Canadian friends on Twitter, is Bull Bitcoin. So when you do get ready, check out Bull Bitcoin if you're in Canada and that's all I'll say there, unless there's other questions, but I don't want to, turn this into a <laughs> I appreciate you bringing it up. And I only tell you, and I only bring it up to anyone listening. It's only because I care. If you're listening to this, I appreciate you. And I want you to set yourself up for success as much as possible. And it's something that it's still early. I've heard people tell me, oh my gosh, well, what if I go buy this and do this? This thing's newer. It's so early. If you look at the adoption curves, we're still super early, super early in Bitcoin's existence. Okay. I will look into that. Yeah, that book might find its way to you. There's one other guest on the show that I've sent it to, so it'll be coming your way. Okay. As a thank you for awesome. me. No I want you to read it. If you'll read it, it's coming. I'll get the address and stuff <laughs> off there, but it, it'll be in your mailbox for too long. For those that would want to reach out, A, I would say, hey, first join the Facebook group. You can chat in there because you're already in there. But is there anywhere that you would send them? I know you talked a little about the vet consulting agency, so plug that again if there's anywhere that you want people to connect with you, interact. Honestly, if you're interested in the services, sure, go to the website. It's uh, vancityvetgroup.ca. If you want to sort of chat to me, you can find me on Facebook or go to the Veterinarian Success Podcast Facebook page. I'll be happy to chat to you there. Or you want to find me on LinkedIn, no problem. I'll talk to anyone who wants to listen. But if I want to ask you a question, actually, is if I gave you a magic wand and said, Isaiah, change something about the vet med world, what would it be? Oh. That is a great question. See, part of the reason why I wanted to talk about Bitcoin is I didn't want to have you ask me such a good, <laughs> good question. No, it's excellent. So what I would say, magic wand, fix one thing, is I would just let people know that debt does not necessarily control the outcome of where their life is going to take them. I think there's too many young people that look at the amount of student loan debt and they predetermine that they're going to be in a bad spot. And I don't necessarily think that is true by any stretch of the imagination. And I think that dark cloud, that ball and chain, whatever you want to call it. So many people carry that with them. And one of the reasons that I talk as much as I do about certain things when it comes to finances is because I want to allow people to be a little bit more free of knowing, shoot, you have a long time, take advantage of the programs that are out there, but you can absolutely go to vet school, become a successful veterinarian. You do not have to be an owner and you can still pay that back and have a great quality of life. Like if I can do that, if I can encourage people and just be like, gosh darn it, you can do this stuff and it is completely okay to have debt. It's not bad. You don't have to pay it off in three years or five years because I feel like some people see that on a Facebook post somewhere about how someone got really aggressive and they think, oh, I didn't do that. I failed, right? Like I should do what they did. It's not true. Maybe they had a different circumstance and maybe they have a spouse that's doing something different where they were able to be like saving everything they make where that's not you. So I think the idea of debt does not predetermine success in veterinary medicine is important. That's it. Don't look at debt as such a bad thing. Look at it as an investment in your skill set. And, you know, veterinarian is going to be able to earn if you are able to work your entire career. It's going to be five and a half million dollars probably. Yep. And you've got corps always going to be knocking on your door to consolidate. So it is an investment, to be honest. And you can be a entrepreneurial vet, go out, have a startup, do it for a handful of years, 
sell it to a corporate entity before the age of 40 and make a ton of money if that's what you want to do. You don't have to, but you can. You can also go to rural clinics and start to consolidate those yourself, roll them up and decide to turn around and sell those and do that while you're fairly young. You can literally go borrow money at sub four or 5% and own a business that's mid-teens, mid-20s from a profit margin perspective if you're running it well. And you can have much higher if you uh, are really efficient and look at that. But that's great leverage. Like veterinary medicine is still so open for really great business owners and operators. And I think going back to one of the things that you talked about, if you're not the great leader, but you're a stinking good clinician, just go find the partner. Partnerships are great. Partnerships really can be helpful. You don't have to do it alone. And partnerships can take all forms and fashion. They don't have to come from vet med. You're a shining example of that. You can find other people that are fantastic operators that can assist you and let you do the clinical stuff that you love doing. You can still have a win-win. So that's my encouragement. Absolutely. I agree with you. hundred percent. hundred percent. Thank you for taking the time, Reese. This was awesome. Thanks for a great question. That's one that I'm like, oh man, I don't know if that's the best answer. And you always feel like when you get those kind of like questions, you're like, oh shoot, should I have had a different answer? But no, fantastic discussion. I think anyone listening to this, you have to love, I do an Aussie accent. I mean, to me, that's just smooth listening on the ears. You can just listen to you talk about stuff all day. So I appreciate it. I think there's a lot of wisdom shared. This was your first podcast too, right? It is. You're a pro. You're a pro. Uh, Look, let me tell you, I was shaking before. (laughs) (laughs) You're a pro. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your wisdom. And this was a ton of fun. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should consult your team before implementing anything. Isaiah Douglas is a partner of Vincere Wealth Management. Isaiah is registered in the state of Indiana, California, Texas. The biggest compliment you can give to this podcast is to share it with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcasts is the platform that predominantly is how people listen to the show. If you have three to five minutes, you like the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts, give us an honest rating and review. That'll help more people find the show. For all of today's links and information, head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can subscribe via your favorite podcast platform so you won't miss another episode. Finally, if you'd like more information, insights, and have the ability for your voice to be heard and interact with show guests, join the private Facebook group. You can go to the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom where it says about your host and then click on the Facebook icon. That'll bring you into the Facebook group. I'll approve you. You'll be in. And then I'd love to hear your questions, feedback, and anything that you'd like to see added to the show. So with all that, thank you so much for listening. I'll be talking again to you soon.